Welcome to Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. If you're interested in learning more, go to southcities.church. Our sports a result of the fall, or are they a part of the enduring state of mankind in both innocence and in glory? What do you think? I don't know. I'd like to think there's going to be some kind of sports in heaven. What is the least likely sport to be in heaven, Nick? The least likely sport to <laughs> yes. be in heaven? I don't know. Cricket? I don't know. That's <laughs> where I went to. I, just I was thinking more like mixed martial Something arts violent. Boxing. Yeah, that's boxing. what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, MMA? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what's the most likely sport in heaven, Nick? Golf. Oh, uh, wow. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> and everybody will be able to afford it. That's good. That's football. What's only your, no injuries. Yeah, yeah exactly. football, no injuries. Yes. Or is it too violent? I don't think the theme is violence. All so. right, all right. I you're get not trying What's to hurt people. You're likely, just trying to tackle them. Least likely sport to be in heaven. Yeah, I thought cricket right away, too. And I think it's just because we don't know it. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know it? Yeah. It's like, I'm ignorant, therefore... <laughs> Send it Therefore, down. it's not going to be there. So non-existent. Stacy, do you have a sport that you think is most likely to be in heaven? Be in heaven? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. Whatever people want. Whatever would people give them in their joy. glorified state. Yes, right, it right. would be there. What is the least likely in heaven? Least likely sport in heaven? Well, something violent, I think. Like w- boxing. WWE, or- maybe. Yes. <laughs> that's really a sport. sport. That's, that's, that's just too like, much. Well, there's a lot of people that would argue with you on that. Yeah, that's that's fine. They it's lose theater. the arguments. Um, I think baseball will be in heaven. Agreed. Certainly will be in heaven. I think it is. I, I just uh, was watching a game the other day, a Red Sox-Yankees game, no less, and remembering that in heaven, the Red Sox will always win the World Series and the Yankees won't be there. So, <laughs> it's really Spoken sad, like, like a Red so. Sox fan. At least I'd like to, to think so. Uh, we are not talking yet about the eternal state. That's next week. When we're going to talk about eschatology, but we are touching on things pertaining to the the destiny of humanity and our purpose today in a part three about systematic theology. Part one, we talked about kind of introductory matters and bibliology, like how does God reveal himself? Last time, part two, we talked about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And today we're talking about three interconnected doctrines. Are you guys ready for your, your Greek? Did you, you put on your Greek lenses to over your ears. We're going to talk about anthropology, anthropos, mm. anthro, <laughs> anthropos, yeah, the doctrine of mankind. We're going to talk about hamartiology, hamartia, sin, the doctrine of sin. And then we're going to talk about soteriology, soterios, the doctrine of salvation. That is soteriology, Daniel. That's great. Um, nice to make you tear up, Nick. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, how, why are these three doctrines interconnected? Like why, why have these three together instead of interspersing them someplace else? Uh, well, there's a couple answers to that. I mean, number, I think the most obvious answer is that it's the traditional progression in systematic theologies. So if you look in a systematic theology book, this is likely the progression that it will follow. And I think that's because um, they're all relating to man. So you have to know who man and his nature, you know, who are we, how are we created? What's our, what, what is man? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that question, <laughs> very existential. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, what happened to man fall into sin and then how, what's the solution for man? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Salvation. 
So at the end of The Dark Knight, uh, the Joker taunts Batman on top of the uncompleted skyscraper as he's loaded up two uh, different boats with bombs and given the trigger to the two separate groups of people on the opposite boats. Yep. And he taunts Batman uh, before the clock strikes midnight or whatever it is that they're going to blow each other up, but then they don't. And he gets ready to do it on his own. Batman says in his grovelly voice, you know, Christian Bale says something to the effect of, this town just showed you what kind of people it's made of. Something like that. To say, in essence, very well done. people was, are essentially good. good in Gotham, not essentially bad, mm-hmm. like the Joker believed. What say you? What is the constitution of mankind? Good or evil? What do you think the scriptures teach? Go ahead, Stacy. <laughs> well, in the current state or originally? Hey, that's Ooh, the question. question. So why I mean, didn't you answer originally? Originally? Yeah, Adam and Eve. They were without sin, made in God's image. And yeah, they were sinless in, God, in God's presence. However, they were able to sin. Yes, they yes. were able to sin, which they did. So, and consequently... Yeah. The rest of us are in sin. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So created in a state of innocence and yet able to sin. It's a very kind of a, a, a core doctrine that Christians believe. A perfect God did not create an imperfect world. And yet sin was able to be introduced into the world. How? That... <laughs> is a profound mystery that we may never know the deepest answer to. Right. Well, it wasn't anything internal to Adam and Eve, right? There was an external cause for the entrance of sin into this world. And right. That's where the mystery lies. Yeah. Like how did, how did that actually? Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. we'll touch on it perhaps a little bit next week when we talk about angelology right because Ooh. we believe that at some point prior to Adam and Eve there Satan. was some kind of fall Satan fell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and Christians have historically confessed that for a long long time and so it's created in a state of innocence originally yet they fell that's the doctrine of sin yeah and now so talk about uh are we are okay. we essentially good or essentially bad now so Adam and Eve were able to sin then the fall happened, and now all of Adam's, you know, progeny, yeah. are not able to Grown not up sin. Words, Nick, progeny. Yeah, they are not able to not sin. In other words, <laughs> they we're all born with sin natures that yep. make us sinners by birth and by action. How do we get that sin nature? Uh, we inherit it from Adam. So is it almost genetic? Eh, almost. Spiritually genetic. Spiritually <laughs> genetic. Or is it more like we are connected to Adam, all of us, in some spiritual way? Yeah, and he's, he's our head. What does that mean? Well, so Romans 5, yep. right? Through one man, sin came to many, right? And so through Adam's sin... And our connection to him as his offspring, therefore we inherit his guilt and his sinful yep. state. Yeah. So 
that's kind of the difference between like, uh, you know, does sin pass on kind of like a virus from generation to generation? Or are we all intricately connected to Adam in such a way that we, you know, we are sinners by both nature and choice? Perhaps the difference between, uh, you know, some kind of genetic way of thinking about it and then a federal, that would be yeah. the technical word, yeah. like federal headship, that kind of thing. It's not, whatever the it's answer not is. It's not actually genetic in like yeah. Yeah. the yeah. physical DNA, but there is a sense in which we, we've now been born with sin natures that make us from birth uh, prone towards sin. In sin, my mother conceived me. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another text like that, which makes the incarnation of Christ perhaps really unique in some sense. We talked yeah. about this last week. Yep. No super clear answer from scripture, but certainly without an earthly father and somehow divinity and humanity cleaving together in the incarnation of Christ in a unique way, whatever it was, his relationship with sin is very different from ours. Very different. So we're all born with the sin nature and we are, what did you say? We are unable not. We're not able to not sin. We're not able, double negative. Yep. Unable to not sin. Double negatives are fun. I want to just jump in before you move to the next part though, Mm -hmm. and just acknowledge as we're talking about biblical anthropology, um, that we still, unbelievers can still experience common grace, Yep. that they can still do good things, Mm -hmm. even though they sin. They can not blow up each other's boats. Yes. They can still be kind people and that's God's grace in their life. Yeah, exactly. So it's not to say at all. So the doctrine that we're touching on is total depravity. Like that's in homartiology under the banner of the doctrine of sin. That doesn't mean that we think everybody's as bad as they possibly could be. Right. Mm -hmm. By like the world would be blown up. Praise God. Yeah. The world would be blown up just means that we're touched. We're so touched by sin that we're unable to, at our own initiation, get back to God. That's not, we're not able to do that. We need God to intervene graciously. And Christians have answered that question differently to some degree. Okay. So let's talk about uh, mankind constitutively, like what mankind is like. How many different parts of uh, mankind are there? My finger, my toe. There's 215 bones or whatever yeah, it is. No, no. Bones. So like is, so this is a, a debate within systematic theologies. Is mankind, do they, do we consist of body and soul or body, soul, and a third category, spirit? What do you think? And what would be the differences between those viewpoints? If you're familiar with them. Go ahead, Stacy. Well, <laughs> well, uh, I've heard it said that body, soul, and spirit, that one of those is a little bit more of the realm of the psychological. Yep. Um, but I don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're just a body and we're a spirit slash soul slash heart, whatever that inner man of, it, of us is that's going to remain after, we, after our bodies die. Yeah, yeah, and I tend to agree with that. There is some theology that posits, it says that like, Hey, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you, it's almost like you get a third part, like as opposed to like uh, that somehow deeply affects your soul or something like that. I do think it's right to say though. So like the classic passage for three parts is you know the the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword; it cleaves the dividing of soul and spirit, right? Sure. So uh, so it could it could be. 
that in some sense, like, uh, there are three parts to us. But if so, the scriptures are not, like, very clear about what those parts mm-hmm. are by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And that's why, well, that's why we talk about we are embodied souls. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Um, so what other things are constitutive of us as humans? Gender? Yes. Gender. Yeah. Gender. Or, Talk mm-hmm. about that. that. Like, is that is specific that... sexual difference? Specifically, sexual difference. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, male, male and, and female, female he and created in yep. his yeah. image. Mm-hmm. Right. In his image. Um, that's not to deny that there, you know, in a fallen world, that there might be, uh, you know, uh, births that are marred by suffering or by sin, where someone, uh, you know, is born with multiple kinds of sexual organs or no sexual organs, etc. But at the chromosomal level, you know, we're we're talking about a, a bipartite. And there's two mm-hmm. yes. that God created that both image him mm-hmm. perfectly. Yes. And one images him incompletely without the other to some degree. So that there is a, a sense in which mankind consisting of male and female as a whole, each one of those uniquely image God. And however... To qualify that, that doesn't mean that you as a man don't image right. God. Like or you're not a woman. You're, you're you're not you need a, a man woman. to yeah, fully yeah. Be, bear the yeah, image of exactly God. That's right. Yes. I know what you were trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, just I'm, right. I'm, too, I'm just qualifying. <laughs> yes, it's good. That, that doesn't mean that you're, I mean, it, it does. Male and female both image God in unique ways, yeah. and you are fully an image bearer as a woman. Right. Yeah. And you are fully image bearer as a man. That's good. So, uh, moving on from doctrine of man to martiology more fully, the doctrine of sin. Uh, and we mentioned it briefly, you know, total depravity uh, teaches, the doctrine of total depravity teaches that our will is so corrupt that we cannot by ourselves of our own initiation start getting back to God. In fact, uh, the idea of like a absolutely libertarian free will is very foreign in the history. And libertarian free will is just this idea that at any moment I can choose to do other than what I want. I can just make decisions. That's the the distinction. Yeah. Our will is always bound to what we want the most in the moment. And because of our sinful state, we are always opposed to God. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yes, and Christians historically have confessed that for a very long time. They've answered the question differently sometimes about how you change, right? Mm -hmm. Even a Roman Catholic would answer and say, like, yes, God must graciously intervene. Here's how he graciously intervened. He gave us the sacrament of baptism so that we can do something to come to him, but it was Mm -hmm. first at his initiation. Sure. Um, And then different people answer differently. What's that first initiating thing? Either God gives grace to everyone, a prevenient grace. That's Mm -hmm. what an Arminian would believe, that Mm -hmm. everyone's will has been enlivened to be able to do something about it. Or a Calvinist, what we would say is that, you know, the Lord in mystery chooses some to enliven their will, doesn't choose others. And that's not something that's perceptible to us mm-hmm. apart from the fruit of someone's life. So it's not ours to determine, etc. cetera. Yeah. Any reflections on that? Like the enlivening of the will uh, yeah. in, or the, the deadening of the will in, you know, what sin does to that. Well, I was just going to share a little bit of a personal point on this is that I became a believer in an Armenian church. And that was my belief for, I don't know, four or five years. And I mean, first of all, I hadn't been taught anything differently, but from your perspective, it does 
feel as though you are choosing God. Yep. Yep. And so there is a sense well, that you do actually, choose you God. You really are choosing God. Yeah, it's but actually true. then when I started to, you know, hear more about reformed teaching and things, um, and I, I don't, maybe it was an Augustine quote where he said, well, what made you want God? You know, like it was the, yep. well, why, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That yep. quote, it was like, well, I, he must have done a work in my heart mm-hmm. to make me yep. want him. Yeah, it's a question yeah. of when does regeneration happen in relationship to faith? Do we have faith and then we are regenerated? Or is there some sense that God enlivens us before yeah. we take and that's, we embrace that? That's one of the reasons the Bible talks about it in terms of being spiritually dead and spiritually yeah. alive. Mm-hmm. So the new birth, right? Yeah. You were dead yep. and not alive, you yep. know? And you can't, a dead person can't make themselves alive. Right. Yep. Yep. But then God. Uh, sovereignly breathes new life into you and you become alive. And then all of a sudden Jesus is, you know, you view him for who he is and you believe yep. you choose him yep. because you've been made alive. You've been brought from dead to life and that's called the, the new mm-hmm. birth. Yeah. Yep. It's like we, a gasping for air from someone who's been brought back to life or a new life in a baby. All of a sudden mm-hmm. instinctively, what do we do? We cry out. We want yeah. that. Yeah. So we praise God for evangelical Arminians and yep. others that preach the same gospel that we do. Um, you know, even people that would reject these kinds of distinctions um, in various ways and categories. Similar to, uh, I've probably shared this quote here before. I, it, Spurgeon may not be the originator of this, but he certainly shared it. You know, he said salvation is like a building, that there's a door and when you approach the building, the door, there's a banner over the door that says, whosoever will may come. And then after you walk through the door, you turn around and the banner on the inside of the door is chosen before the foundation of the world. Mm. So we do believe that mankind, uh, we in this room believe that we have free will, but it's a free will, the freedom to do what we want and our wants are under bondage mm-hmm. yeah. until such a time as God chooses to free us. Mm-hmm. So, well, and the beauty of that is it that truth becomes very sweet. Some people view yeah. it as it's a, you know, you're stealing my free will. You're stealing this. You're not letting me. It's like, no, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It puts the glory firmly into God. Like yeah. It glorifies him. So, so it's a, well, it's at this point that the next category kind of comes into play. Yeah, yeah. So we were you know, able to, to sin in our original state. Then the fall happened. We were not able to not sin. Then spirit breathes new life into us. And now because we have the spirit, you know, our hearts have been made new. We have new life in Christ. Now we're able to not sin. Right. Right. So we can, by the power of the spirit, lay hold of God's promises and trust in them over the inferior promises of sin. And we can resist. Right. We cannot yeah. sin. Mm-hmm. But it requires the presence of the Spirit exactly. to truly resist sin. Yep. Like there may be ways in which if the Spirit is not present in the life of an unbeliever that they can resist temptation or resist other things, but it's not being done according to faith. Right. right? It's back it's not, to the common grace almost, yeah. a common right. grace to resist something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That can happen. And the law of God is written on every person's heart mm-hmm. to some degree. Therefore, uh, even though they suppress it, they ignore it, et cetera, uh, people can still do good uh, mm-hmm. apart from the spirit. So when we talk then about the, the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, classically it's divided, at least in Protestant systematic theology, 
into justification, sanctification, Mm -hmm. and glorification. Mm -hmm. Why those three categories and why are they important to keep somewhat distinct in comparison to others that perhaps think of justification and sanctification much more closely to each other? Yeah, it's really important because justification, uh, biblically speaking, is completely by grace alone through faith alone. Yep. Right? So it's totally a gift from God, all his grace. Yep. And we are justified solely based on the faith that God right. gives. And even the faith is a gift, right? Yeah, so right. it is no work mm-hmm. of our own. Um, whereas sanctification classically can be defined as a, a work of God and man, where by we participate with God mm-hmm. in laying hold of God's promises in scripture, fighting sin, resisting, putting ourselves in the path of com- or, uh, the means of grace. Yeah, special grace. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and those must be distinct. Otherwise, if our justification and salvation become melded, yeah. or self- sanctification, I mean, yeah. then our justification can become based on us and it becomes a work. Right. This is where we would part from Roman Catholics right. and to some degree Eastern Orthodox, where we would say, like, where they, especially Roman Catholics, would say your justification and your sanctification are wrapped up in one another. Mm-hmm. You can have confidence that you're justified in as much as you're sanctified. And there is ways that like first John and other things like that is a, there is an assurance of salvation that's wrapped up in I'm real. There's really fruit in my life, mm-hmm. but that's not the ground Correct. of our salvation. The ground of our salvation is our justification in Christ. We are justified. We are uh, given a right standing with God as instead of a judge, he's now a father and what that does is it unites us to Christ by faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that whatever Jesus gets, we get. Mm-hmm. Whatever Jesus what and uh, you know whatever was ours before that, Jesus mm-hmm. takes that on Himself. Yep. And it's destroyed in the cross. The great exchange. There's a positional reality then that is stronger than <clears throat> whatever might happen in a given day or a week or month in terms of our sin, mm-hmm. etc. So I think of texts, uh, this one, somebody can look this up for me. I can't remember it. You know, Paul, uh, you know, is pouring out all kinds of love and care, uh, I think for the Thessalonian church. Um, and I'm going to look it up here uh, real fast. And what he says is uh, he, where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, Thessalonians, second Timothy, first Timothy. Or if I say uh, I'm not gonna be able to find it. It's a text where he says, you know, uh, unless you have failed to meet the test. Uh, when he talks, he, mm-hmm. he goes on for a while about um, how thankful he is for them and how he trusts that they're going to make it all the way home unless they they fail. And that brings in what we believe, uh, you know, that the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Yeah, mm-hmm. that all those that are truly justified. <clears throat> Will be sanctified they and will. finally glorified as a promise of the gospel. Yeah. That that's like inevitable. That yep. if you are truly in Christ, God will do all the promises. Mm-hmm. It will get you it there. Will, it will happen. And so that we can finally reach glorification, which is a state where we're unable to sin. Mm-hmm. There will be no nothing to tempt us and nothing internal to us that will want that like completely removed external and there's no snake. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's only good things to enjoy and a good heart to want those good things. That's the story of salvation from justification through sanctification 
to glorification. So a question, is God righteous? Yes. yes. Good. Okay. Is God righteous to glorify people that may not be fully sanctified when either they die or he comes? Yes. Yes. Why? Because Christ paid the penalty for those sins. Right. So it is not like there's an incomplete debt that has yet to be right. unpaid. So like doctrines like purgatory or somehow like, uh, you know, it was uh, finished on the purification beyond death. salvation after death. Right. <laughs> that there is, uh, you know, everything being paid for on the cross and us receiving uh, by uniting, by being united to Christ, Christ's own benefit that he receives from the father. Mm-hmm. Like we get everything Jesus gets, including the place before the father because of what Christ has done. So there's nothing left to be done. So the text Another text I'm thinking of, I think it's First Thessalonians 5. We know that when he appears, we will be like, like him. him. Yep. Mm-hmm. No intermediate kind of thing. Like, we're going to be like him when that happens. Um, which is a sweet comfort. Like, that our salvation is not dependent on us. It's wholly dependent upon God. Yep. And Amen. He even, you know, uh, you know uh, Ephesians 2, is it 8, 2, 8, 2, 9? Uh, you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this... Is not your own doing. Yep. It is the gift of God. Yes, the grace. Yes, the faith is a gift. Yep. So there's nothing internal to me that I can say, look at what I did. God. And that thing that you just mentioned where we will be like him when he when we see him, yep. that's where the fourth and final category yeah, yeah. of our little thing comes in. Yep. So able to sin at the beginning, then the fall, not able to not sin, then we're reborn and now we're able to not sin. And then one day when we see him, we'll be like him. And then, wonder of wonders, we will be unable to sin. Right. Woo. That's just. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we're going to be heading next time on the next episode. Little preview. Talking about, uh, in addition to doctrine of the church, doctrine of angels, we're also going to talk about doctrine of end times. Yep. Eschatology. Touch on that a bit. So uh, I'm looking forward to that particular conversation. Any other brief closing reflections on any of these? Nope. Thanks for joining us, everyone.